From a Travel Show, I'm your host, Pauline Fromer, and we are going to two of the top visitor destinations on the planet right now. Places where you're pretty much guaranteed to have the vacation of a lifetime. I'm talking about the city of Barcelona, such a wonderful place, and the Costa Brava and that region of Spain, as well as the Virgin Islands. Why am I talking about these places? Well, I'm being a little bit self-serving. We have two great new books out, one to the Virgin Islands by Alexis Lipsitz Flippin, and one to Spain, which has a panoply of authors. If you listen to this show, you know that I've interviewed some of them before, but today I have Jennifer Caesar on tap. Hey, Jennifer, welcome back to the Fromer Travel Show. Thank you, Pauline. So you wrote what could be seen as the most important chapter in the book. And I say that because it used to be 20 years ago, 30 years ago, if you were going to visit Spain, you flew direct into Madrid. And that was the beginning focal point of your trip. You might go on to Andalusia, you might go on to other regions, but Madrid was the way people thought about their trip. They were going to Madrid and then other places. Now, in recent years, a lot of flights are going directly into Barcelona, which I think shows its rise in popularity. Why do you think it's gotten so much more popular? Well, um, perhaps I'm a bit biased because I lived there for four years. But um, (laughs) generally speaking, I think Barcelona is just sexier. It's on the Mediterranean, so you have far, far better weather year-round than you would in Madrid, which gets extremely hot in the summer and extremely cold in the winter. Hmm. It's just moderate. You have the beach, which you don't have in Madrid. You have the mountains. Uh, You basically have everything you could ever want and a very different style of architecture that, you know, attracts a lot of people, Gaudi. For sure, is sure. yeah one of you know one of the biggest draws to Spain is is to see his architecture. Absolutely, and in Barcelona you have Europe's largest Gothic quarter, right? So that's there's a big dose of that type of architecture too. Yes, absolutely. You have medieval, you have a bit of Roman architecture sprinkled in there in the Gothic quarter, and then you have. Catalan modernism, which is basically what Gaudi is. There are several other architects uh, who were um, building at the same time. And it's looks, this city looks very different uh, from any other city in Spain. Or in the world, I think. Or in the world. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Barcelona is a treasure. But because of that in recent years, Barcelona is getting overloved. I mean, there are just I think too many tourists there right now. It it just can you you when you're walking on the Ramla, which is this pedestrian thoroughfare that's very popular. Uh, sometimes it feels like you're in Times Square. <laughs> How do you have a vacation in Barcelona without it being destroyed by the other people who are having vacations in yeah. Barcelona right now? Um, I think first first and foremost, I, I have to tell everybody. Summer is really one of the worst times to be in Barcelona. It's hot. Yes, good advice. It's crowded. There are so many cruise ships. The cruise terminal is very close to the city. And just thousands, 
thousands of tourists who come just for the main attractions just spill into the city. And, and that's especially true in the summer. And so what I like to advise people to do is to go in the off season. It's, it's, the, it's a Mediterranean climate, as I said before. So it's almost always sunny. It's very temperate. I, I think I used my umbrella maybe a grand total of three times and I lived there um, many, many years. My goodness. And wow. So yeah. So you're, you're, you're pretty much guaranteed great weather. So it's much better to go um, when there are fewer tourists. And that would be, that would be my number one um, uh, piece of advice. And then, you know, if you're there to see Gaudi, which is why many, many people are there, uh, especially sure. La Sagrada Familia, the thing, you're never going to be able to fully escape the crowds. Uh, you'll have fewer crowds in the summer than in the summer if you go in the off season, but there will always, always be people there. So mm -hmm. um, I, I wouldn't miss it because of that. Uh, I think you just need to plan a right. little bit ahead of time. And some things I recommend are to splurge. It's 10 euro more for a skip the line. Mm. And that will obviously skip the line, as well as if you sign up for a private tour, those vary, you know, in price, but that will also allow you to skip the line. Try to go right when it opens, which is uh, you mean La Sagrada Familia, the, La the Sagrada big, Familia. Uh, church that's still unfinished. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Still unfinished. No, right. I waited, I think, an hour, and, an hour and a half to get into La Sagrada Familia last uh, time okay. I was there. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's, that's pretty much stopped because now everything is time tickets. You have to buy a timed ticket. Ah. But even so, if you get there when it opens, which is, I believe, 9 a.m. Uh, Monday through Saturday, and I believe it's 1030 on Sundays. And then you're just obviously going to have fewer people, fewer bodies sure. in there to, to, yeah. to start with. So, you know, it's worth, very much worth splurging, trying to, you know, it, it's just so much better to see it with fewer people. There's so much to uh -huh. see. Um, yeah. And the alternative to that is if you go toward the end of the day, and those hours completely vary depending on the season, you know, there may not be as many people and you also get some pretty spectacular sun, you know, when the sun sets and it shines oh, yeah. in through the stained glass. It's just, it's, there's nothing else quite like that in the world. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And, and it's not the only modernist building there. There are others you can visit. My favorite, I think, in Barcelona is that hospital uh, because mm. you see the exquisite architecture and you also learn about how the architect and the doctors he was working with were trying to create a building that promoted health in a way that people hadn't really thought about building before. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's a really interesting interplay of architecture with philosophy. I thought. Yes. Do, what yes. is the name of that hospital? <laughs> uh, it's called. It. It's fine. It's called San Pau. Uh -huh. It has a very, very long name, but San Pau is is the easiest way to remember it, and it's right up, probably about six blocks up from Sagrada Familia. So right. it's quite easy to get to. It's on a mostly pedestrian thoroughfare called Avenue Gaudi. It's at the very top, and 
I especially love it at Christmas time. They they do a huge light show there that huh. is absolutely one of a kind. It's it's wonderful. Oh wow. Oh, that's amazing. A reason to go back. Mm-hmm. So and and I gotta say another reason to be at Christmas in Barcelona is you can get the best ornaments, uh, the Caganars, uh, <laughs> which are these little figures who are squatting near the manger uh, doing uh, number two, uh, yes. because uh, this is something that's been around since the Middle Ages, right? Mm-hmm. What, what, do you know what the symbolism is, why these guys are, are pooping near the manger? I, I really wish I did. There, there's a famous uh, uh, Catalan, it's a log with a smiley face on it. And it's, for lack of a better word, pooping. Uh, but the pooping is are chocolates. And I think it derived, these cognizers de- derived from that. And so you'll find all these guys and women and everybody depicted. So it could be yeah. Lionel Messi. It can be... Donald Trump, it can be (laughs) Britney Spears, it can be, you know, everybody you could think of is, is a Caganer. Yes. Is, is, so these are little figurines that you're supposed to put in your Christmas crash and they're absolutely hilarious. I heard that the, the symbolism was of from earth, you know, to earth, that, that, that this was about the cycle of life that you eat and then you poop. Oh Uh, yeah. Who, who knows? Who knows? I'll buy that. Uh, I'll buy that. <laughs> it, these things have been around since the Middle Ages, which is what's so... Oh, and now they're modernized. So, uh, yeah, right. you can... So, going in the off-season is a great great advice for Barcelona. Mm-hmm. Less good for, say, the Costa Brava or the hill towns of Catalonia. Many years ago, in late October, I did a bike tour. It was self-guided, so we biked from town to town. And it was just at the t- time when a lot of those towns were closing up. We got to mm-hmm. one town actually on our wedding anniversary, and there were no restaurants in the town that were open <laughs> at that time of year. Yeah, uh, and we, we were thinking, yeah. what are we going to do for our big dinner? So, what's the advice for visiting the Costa Brava? And if you could give a, a, a quick description of why you'd want to visit. Uh, that that beautiful stretch of shoreline. Yeah, I, I mean, as you said, it's it's uh, it, it basically shuts down in the off season, so you have a very small window to experience the Costa Brava, and and Costa Brava means wild coast, and it is rather wild. Um, there's cliffs and there's coves, and it's very hilly, uh, no, almost no major development along the coast, just lots of little towns. So it's very precious, very charming, very romantic, and very crowded because <laughs> everybody sort yeah. of packs in there during the three, three and a half months uh, in the summer that, that it's in full swing. So unfortunately, there, there's no other real way to, to experience it than, than that way. And right. you, the other thing is, is, well, I mean, you biked, so I, I'm very um, uh, in awe of you, Pauline. But <laughs> I, I drove, I drove, and uh, uh-huh. it is very curvy, very steep in some places. It, I mean, it's a little harrowing, I must say, but it's absolutely worth it. And it's... Um, I mean, there's a few towns that I love, 
I think the most famous um, that I cover in the book quite uh, quite a bit is Catechess. And mm. that is um, where Salvador Dali was born. Mm. And he still has uh, one of his uh, museums. It's a house museum there. It's his, the, the crazy eccentric one. Uh, that is just outside of Catechus. and most most Cate- things uh, associated with Dali are pretty crazy and eccentric. I find. Yeah, I, mean, I was at that house museum, and and you realize his art was how he lived too. I mean, he had mm-hmm. this wild imagination, and so he would create these spaces in his personal home uh, that were just oddball, that were fun. I mean, it, yes. it, it's a great museum to visit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And then the town itself, I mean, it, it almost looks, I don't know, Greek in, in a way. You know, it's all whitewashed, cobblestone lanes, very narrow, and sort of the bougainvillea sort of pouring out of the flower boxes. And then it leads down to a cove with lots of restaurants. And it's just, I, I, I think, I, I mean, charming is such an overused word, but but that yeah. is really what it is. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, and, and there's a lot of variety along the coast. You have Roman mm-hmm. ruins, you have uh, wineries, you have uh, olive farms. Uh, there's a lot to see and do, actually. Mm-hmm. I, was, mm-hmm. I was surprised. You also cover Aragon, which I think is in the back of a lot of people's brains because you had Catherine of Aragon and people know, know of her because of our American history. Uh, but today, why do people go to Aragon? What's there to see and do there? Well, the main city in, in Aragon is Zaragoza. And many people go there because it's really on the midpoint between Barcelona and Madrid. If you're taking even the high-speed train, it usually stops in Zaragoza. Huh. And there's a, it's a massive university town. There's lots of universities there. And it, it also has uh, an incredible amount of Moorish architecture. And one of the, I don't know if it's the biggest cathedral in Spain. It probably isn't. There's probably many that are much larger. But this one, the main cathedral in, in Zaragoza is just absolutely enormous. Hmm. And you walk inside and it's marble floors and frescoes from Goya and the Black Virgin that you kneel down to kiss. And it's just a spectacular building, both inside and out. And then nearby is um, uh, a Moorish palace that is, I believe, the 11th century. Most of it was originally built and then it was, as is much of Spain, sort of taken over by the Catholics and imprinted <laughs> with their architecture. But there's there's a lot of original Moorish details there, like the arches. It's, it's not the Alhambra. Nothing is the Alhambra. But it is right. a rather spectacular example and far, far less crowded than the Alhambra huh? would be. Well, that's, mm-hmm. that's a reason to visit just in itself. And you also wrote about one of my favorite towns because there, there's so many great, you can base yourself in Barcelona and see some real gems uh, within an hour of the city, one of which is Girona. Talk a little bit about Girona and why that's such a wonderful place. I actually think don't do it as a, as a day trip from Barcelona, stay overnight there because uh, mm-hmm, there's mm-hmm. so much to see and do. 
Yeah, it, it, it really is one of the most spectacular, perfectly preserved cities I've ever been in. I wrote about it actually way back, well before I, I ever lived in Spain, and um, because it was one of the uh, filming sites for Game of Thrones. Ah. And it, this, the steps that lead up to its main cathedral in the, in the city center is, I believe, in season six. Don't, don't, don't quote me on that. <laughs> I, I don't know my Game of Thrones so well. Was anybody but, killed on those steps in a gory of, way? Of course, of course they were. Yeah. <laughs> of course, of course, yeah, yeah. But what what's lovely about it, it's about a forty minute high speed train ride from Barcelona, and you walk through the newer part of town across a river, and then you are in this almost entirely walled, very steep city. With oh my gosh, it's got architecture from the Roman times. It has an incredible uh, amount of medieval Jewish architecture there. Yeah. It's got Catholics. It's, it's, it's got everything, which is, you know, sounds a little cheesy, but it really is something so special. And it's also got wonderful food. You, you may not be able to go to the, the cellar de Can Roca, which is actually outside of the city, but those three brothers, uh, Michelin starred, three Michelin starred restaurant, have several things within the city, several spaces in the city, including a hotel now and huh. um, a wonderful sort of Willy Wonka like ice cream shop that everybody goes to. And the Cellar de Can Roca, beyond Michelin stars, I think it was named best restaurant in the world at one point. I don't know if it yeah. still has that title. I know uh-huh. I, I I very foolishly kind of made this was about a decade ago, just kind of noodled into town, called them up and said, Can I get a reservation for tonight? And they were they were like, No, <laughs> you can't. You have to call several months in advance. So I yeah. I never got to go, but I I've heard it's extraordinary. I've heard so too. I haven't gotten to go either. Yeah. Sadly. Yeah, I th- think that might be the more common response to try and get mm-hmm. a reservation there. It's one of those places. Well, you've really brought Spain to life. Thank you so, so much, Jennifer, for your wonderful chapters in this book and for this conversation. Thank you, Pauline. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. ago, I had the thrill of appearing on the Kelly and Mark show. Kelly Ripa, her husband, Mark Consuelo, were having a travel week and they asked me to discuss romantic travel. And what popped to my head first was the Virgin Islands because they wanted romantic travel that you didn't have to use a passport for. And What popped into my head second was, I'd better talk with Alexis. Alexis Lipsitz Flippin is the author of our just-released Fromer's Virgin Islands book. She knows everything there is to know about the islands. And so I also wanted to have her on this show to talk not only about romance in the Virgin Islands, but also about why one goes there now, what, what, what are highlights, how to save money, how to pick the right island. So she's on the phone. Hey, Alexis, so nice to speak with you about this. 
Hi, Pauline. It's so nice to be here and talk about the Virgin Islands, one of my favorite places on earth. Well, well, thank you for the great advice you gave me right before I went on the Kelly and Mark show. You told me that you felt that the food in the Virgin Islands was the best in the Caribbean. Back that up. Why is that? I think what I was saying was that I think St. Croix in particular yeah. has a real farm-to-table culture that has really been going on for years. And because St. Croix is really sort of the most isolated of the islands, it really takes about an hour to get there from St. Thomas, they've really developed their own cuisine. And you have a lot of, you have a real melting pot of chefs there who have settled there and are using the bounty of the island in their food, in their drinks. And, and it's, a, it's a real, uh, again, it's a real melting pot of cultures and tastes and uh, really innovative chefs. Well, I read in the book that it's a, it's a melting pot because of its history, partially, yes. because you had a lot of people coming there from Africa as slaves, tragically, many hundreds of years ago, and some stayed in those islands. You had other people from other uh, cultures coming in. Do you remember what the other cultures were? Well, you had a lot of people coming from the more Spanish Caribbean islands. Right. Um, you had a lot of Puerto Ricans. You have a lot of Venezuelans. You have a lot of people who came to work on the islands, especially they had a, uh, in the uh, 20th century, there was an oil refinery. And that brought in a lot of different cultures. So um, you you have that and you have a lot of expats from right. the States and Canada. So it's a really happy melting pot. Yeah. And and would it be fair to say, I mean, I'd, I don't want to take away anything from the melting pot because that's the basis of the cuisine there and why it's so interesting. But in 2017, there were two tragic terrible events, uh, hurricanes uh, that hit all of the Virgin Islands within two weeks of one another and, and flattened the islands. And so a lot of chefs had to leave uh, to, to make their living elsewhere while those islands rebuilt. And did they bring back new cuisines, new recipes, new techniques? Is that part of the reason why St. Croix is so vital right it's, now? It certainly is. Um, and they had to leave, um, but really, uh, it, so many are back. So many incredible chefs are back, and um, again, a lot of them went to to Florida, and a lot of huh. them went to New York, and of course, so now they've brought back all kinds of interesting flavors and techniques, and it's just uh, it, it, it's a real boom, I think, in in the cuisine down there. Right. So St. Croix, foodie island. I want to define each island so people can uh, know which ones would appeal to them. So for St. Croix, we have foodie. We have obviously gorgeous beaches, but I would think that's around the uh, Virgin Islands. That's not just St. Croix. Yeah. What else makes St. Croix unique? Unique also, I mean, St. Croix has, it's, it's a it's a beautiful landscape. It's not hilly, particularly. 
it's, there's a lot of farm. There's a lot of old uh, mahogany stands that were planted back when, you know, they had these long roads and they would plant mahogany trees. And in between the mahogany trees, they would plant fruit trees so that people who were walking to work, and a lot of people walked to work, would have shade and have something to eat. So uh, huh. it, it's, it's, it's certainly, it's, uh, St. Thomas is basically a big hill. It, it, it just goes vertig- vertiginously up. Uh-huh. Um, St. Croix has lots of rolling hills and valleys and in much more uh, arable agricultural land. Interesting. Okay, so that's St. Croix, and we should say that St. Croix, St. Thomas, and St. John are in the U.S. Virgin yes. Islands. Yeah. So we have uh, St. Croix. Let's talk about hilly St. Thomas. I think that's the one that probably the most of our listeners know because it's it's such a major port on uh, Caribbean cruises. But but what else makes St. Thomas unique? St. Thomas is uh, the hub. It, it's always been, for 300 years, it's been the commercial hub of the region. And it's just, it's it's location makes it ideal. It's the trade winds. It, it, it does not have good agricultural land because again, it, it's just, it's straight up right from hmm. the harbor. But uh, what it has is historic buildings and incredible step streets that the Danish built back in the 18th century to climb those hills. So people could actually walk up those hills and they used ship ballast to build these streets and they're still there. There's about 47 of them. A lot of them are about 100 steps and they're landscaped, they're beautiful, they're well-worn. And when you get to the top, you have incredible views of the, of the amazing Charlotte Amelie, which is the capital of St. Thomas, of the harbor. And also St. Thomas is known as a shopping destination, right? A lot of the old sugar warehouses down on the harbor front have been turned into shops and restaurants. Uh, and it's, it's, a, it's a big shopping area where, especially for duty-free goods. So it's, it's a big area for cruise ship passengers to spend a few hours. Right. Now, probably its diametric opposite is St. John, right? I mean, St. John is is all nature, whereas St. Thomas is much more commercial. Yes. Is that fair to say? Yes, that's fair to say. St. John is a beautiful little jewel. It's much smaller than St. Croix, St. Thomas, but two-thirds of it is national park land. And a lot of the beaches are national parks. It is an incredibly beautiful island and with some of the most beautiful beaches in the entire Mm. Caribbean. But it's hard to stay on St. John right now, right? No, it's easy. It's easy. I mean, there's a lot. Oh, really? Okay. St. John is great. It doesn't have a lot of hotels. Right. Never really did. It really had Peniel Bay, which you know, maybe it's some version of that maybe opening in the next five years, hmm. but it has villas and villas are the, the big rental business on St. John. 
And you can get villas close to Cruise Bays, the main town in St. John. You can get villas close to there so you can walk to the restaurants and stuff. Or you could get them all over the island. And lots of them sit uh, on these incredible hilltop areas. You have beautiful views of, of the sparkling seas. And that's really what people do on St. John when they stay. Hmm. And the British Virgin Islands. Let's talk about, as a group, how they differ from the U.S. Virgin Islands. Obviously, you need a passport to get them yes. to them, so that's that's a big difference. But but what else? And and then if you can point out the the names of them and uh, what their salient features are. British Virgin Islands are again the U.S. dollar is rules in both U.S. and British, so that's sure. similar. Um, but yes, you do need a passport if you're an American to get into the BVI. The BVI, the main island is Tortola. Again, it's incredibly gorgeous and mountainous and lots of uh, sort of agricultural land, lots of beautiful beaches. Uh, the second largest island, I believe, is Virgin Gorda. Jos van Dyke is another. Virgin Gorda has some of the most expensive and gorgeous uh, resorts in hmm. the Virgin Islands. And only 4,000 people live on Virgin Gorda. And again, wow. it's, it's an incredibly beautiful place. Um, not quite as bustling as the, uh, the U.S. Virgin Islands. Hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the one beautiful thing about the entire Virgin Islands is that the ferry services, you really can ferry between the U.S. and BVI so easily. They're ferries all day long. Huh. And it's a great way to, if you're not on a boat, because it's a real boating paradise, both of the virgins, if you're not on a, a private boat or a bear boat, uh, it's a great way to see the landscape and to see the islands. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you, you bring up a good point because uh, not only are there ferries, but when you talk about the bear boating and the or having crews, that's a major, major activity in the Virgin Islands. Mm-hmm. This is probably one of the top sailing destinations on the planet, yes. right? Yes. And how does that affect the culture and the t- the tourism business? You know, it, it 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 everybody's. You know, when you're out on a boat and you're 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 popping into these little islands and you're you know everybody's happy. It's a it's a happy <laughs> existence, you know. Um, and you can you know, I mean, certainly uh, people have been sailing these islands since the explorers came from Europe. Uh, it's um, there's lots of little little lairs and places that pirates uh, could hide out, which makes it makes it a perfect pirate. Uh, if you, huh. you're into pirates. Right. Well, and and, and I've, I've heard the sailing is so good because the trade winds are very consistent. Yes. And I guess because there isn't that much distance one island to the next. It's one of the reasons why you can you can island hop by ferry, as you were just discussing, yes. because these are these are, little islands are set up in a, in a really human-friendly way. Yes, exactly, exactly. Beyond sailing, uh, is this a good region for scuba diving and snorkeling still, or has it's there been the some degradation? It's been one of the best for both. If you're a scuba diver, you have an incredible array of sites in both the U.S. and, and the BVI. 
snorkeling is as good as it gets in the Caribbean. Uh, I was there last year. I did not see the degradation that other places are seeing. I saw incredible, massive turtles and giant eagle rays at the bottom wow. of the sea. I saw it. it it's very much uh, healthy and alive. And it's a big draw for visitors to both uh, both nations. And I want to end on the fact that because of those terrible hurricanes in 2017, when you go to the Virgin Islands, in many ways it feels newer uh, than uh, other parts of the Caribbean because so much has had to be rebuilt. And so a lot of the facilities are state of the art. That's true. Um, and that's good for a lot of the buildings are greener. I, I huh. you know, because of that is as far as uh, their building materials and et cetera. But Solar power, wind that, power, you're seeing a lot of that? Exactly, yes. But there are places that will never be back. And that's, hmm. that's, uh, that's kind of sad. But then there are sure. there are your old favorites. There they are again. Even better, spanking new, and you know, happy to see you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm so proud that we finally got this book out. It's a book that we kept having to to reschedule because we were going to do it right before the the hurricanes. That we were going to do it right right before the pandemic, and so it's finally out. It's a brilliant book because you you wrote a brilliant book, Alexis. Thank so you. thank you for that. And thank you for appearing on the Fromer Travel Show. Happy to be here, Pauline. Well, that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. And if I could make a suggestion, I know a lot of people are shopping for Christmas gifts now and Hanukkah gifts and Kwanzaa gifts or whatever kind of gifts you give this season. Might I suggest, perhaps, a book? For a loved one, I think there's no better way to announce that I'm going to take you on the trip of a lifetime than by giving a Fromer's Guidebook to somebody that you love. These certainly are labors of love. We hire the best writers all over the world to put them together, folks who live in the destinations they cover mostly and who pour their hearts and souls into researching these books so they leave no stones unturned, to writing them. We have a crack staff that then edits them, adds photos, and I would say that 90% of Fromer Guides now are fully in color with gorgeous photos. So they make an excellent gift. I thank you so much for listening, and to those who are traveling, may I wish you a hearty bon voyage. I'll see you next week. Watching cable.